I hope that you're okay that we're relaxed this morning. It's kind of awkward for me to sit behind a table, and I'm actually not sure how long I'm actually going to be able to keep my butt planted on this stool. Um, I'm going to do my best, and uh, I might be moving around a lot, but we're going to try, we're going to try our best to, to stay, stay planted this morning. It's really and, uh, hard not to do that. If you're, <laughs> if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we are on week 11 of our journey through Romans, and uh, it's a series called Rooted, and we're literally going through the book uh, and breaking it up into sections, and uh, so this morning, Christy and I get the privilege of sharing with you, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 this morning, so Romans 5, and we're looking at the first part of Romans 5, and this morning, we're going to literally go through this chapter, the first part of this chapter, almost verse by verse, and so we're going to kind of tear it apart and talk about it this morning, and how it applies to our lives. So Christy, would you, uh, would you pray for us this morning? Would you pray for our service? Sure. God, we just thank you for bringing, bringing us all here today. And Father, I just pray that um, you would open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to what you have for us. And Father, I just pray that Rob and I will speak clearly and uh, that it'll be from you. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. So as you turn to Romans 5 this morning, um, we're actually in the part of Romans where we're kind of making a shift in, uh, in Paul in the way that the Apostle Paul here is writing. Um, in the first four chapters, uh, the Apostle Paul was pretty straightforward. And Pastor Matt used the analogy last week that uh, the, the Apostle Paul liked to punch us in the face. And uh, he said that last week. And it's pretty much the way it was. I mean, if you read the first four chapters of Romans, it's pretty, the, the writer's pretty, pretty straightforward. And uh, so this week, uh, we get to kind of make a, a shift. Uh, the first four chapters, Paul's, ta- uh, Paul's talking about uh, justification, and he's talking about what does that mean. And, you know, just as a simple, simple, simple definition of justification for us here this morning is, is you know, when I was in Sunday school, it was like just as, it was the, the definition was just as if I've never sinned, right? So it's making, it's the process of us becoming clean and accepting the sacrifice that, that God, that Jesus made on our behalf. And that is justification. So now, Paul is, the Apostle Paul is changing the, uh, the way that he addresses it from um, understanding that now that we know what justification is, making the switch to now that we know something, how does it transform the way we interpret life or the way we look at life? And uh, so this morning, um, we're going to talk about how the gospel transforms our view, how the gospel transforms our view. And this morning, we're going to specifically look at, in Romans chapter 5, it, he, he talks about um, suffering and trials. So how does the gospel transform our view of suffering, trials, or difficult times? And, uh, you know, earlier this summer, we did a series called You Asked For It. And I don't know if many of you were here, or if you're watching online, and you, you saw that, you remember that, that, uh, that we, there were questions that were asked, you know, people from the congregation submitted questions, and we as a pastoral staff tried to... Um, answer those questions <laughs> over the summer, and we, we, we spoke about them and shared about them, and, you know, there was a question that was asked back then about suffering, and just to be real with you, every, all of us were walking through stuff at the time. Um, as pastoral staff, either we had, you know, lost loved ones, walking through difficult trial situations, walking through suffering, and just to be brutally honest, it was a little bit too raw for us to be able to come up here and share, share about suffering. And so today, Christy and I are going to talk about suffering together through Romans chapter 5. And suffering together. Suffering. Well, you have, you do suffer because you live with me. Aww. So, but <laughs> and we're going to share, we're going to share part of our journey with you as we look at Romans chapter 5 together. And um, 
So, are you there? You guys all ready? Let's, let's read from Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop right there for a moment, and we're going to talk about peace with God. See, the, the peace with God um, that Paul is referring to here is not a feeling that we get, a feeling of calmness or a feeling of stillness. Um, it is the reality of what Christ's death on the cross has provided for us, has created for us. And uh, if we think about it, like feelings are important, right? But feelings come and go. Like different things can make me feel at peace. And the author here is referring to the reality of our standing with God and that our standing with God is the most important. Like our feelings don't matter is what he's, trying, is what he's saying here. So it's feeling peace versus having peace with God. And it's, like, it's, it's, the, difference, it's the difference here. So our feelings don't always reflect our standing with God. Does that make sense? Like the way we feel doesn't always reflect our standing with God. And I point this out because oftentimes in our culture, uh, religion, the purpose of religion is to change the way we feel. Like that's the way our culture looks at religion. Like it should change the way you feel, right? And, And there are a lot of things that change the way I feel. You know, hunting. I love to hunt. Sitting in the woods, you know, in the middle of nowhere, stillness, calmness. Like for me... That's peace. It brings me a feeling of peace. You know, standing in a stream, fishing with my fishing rod, you know, in water, you know, up to my chest. I think that there's no more peaceful place on earth than doing that. That just sounds suffocating. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. But in reality, neither of those things affect or reflect my standing with my creator. Does that make sense this morning? Lots of things affect our feelings. Christy, what affects your feelings? What makes you feel at peace? Honestly, sometimes just sitting on the couch with a blanket, a hot cup of something, just sitting. Just being. Just being. Just being. Yeah. And some people say that long walks, you know, affect their, make them feel at peace. What we eat and drink maybe make, the, make you feel, feel peace. Um, essential oils maybe make you feel peace. Whatever it may be, there are different things that can make you feel at peace. But more important than feelings of peace is whether we actually have peace with God. Whether you actually have peace with God. Are you in right relationship with him? Feeling peace versus having peace. Our feelings should be based on what we know to be true. Therefore, I feel peace because I know I have peace with God. Does that make sense? I I feel peace because I know I have peace with God. Yeah, you know, so so often we hear people say, I don't feel peace like God loves me, or I don't feel like he's close. And they often think, if I feel that way, that must mean something's wrong. But the reality is that our feelings or how we feel isn't always the reality. We don't need to base our feelings on what you think is true. Base how you feel on what you know to be true, the truth of God's word. Why do we, why do we look to our feelings for assurance instead of God's word? We tend to do that a lot, right? Our feelings should be based on truth. Our feelings should be based on the truth of God's word. I don't feel like God loves me anymore. You know, it's because of our relationship with God that the reality is that the truth of God's word says that he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us on a cross so that we can live eternally with him. It says that he's a friend that's closer than any brother. And, you know, verse 2 goes on to say, through whom we have gained access 
by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Yeah, so here in verse 2, the word grace can be replaced maybe with the word, with the word favor. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, don't th- I don't want us to get too far into like favor, because we can oftentimes in our Christian culture can look at favor and be like, well, I have favor with God, so I can do whatever I want kind of idea. And it's like a permission-giving kind of favor. And that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Paul is, we're talking about the word favor because Paul has transitioned from talking about justification, which is in, in the idea of getting mercy for our sins, and he switched to talking more about the status that we have with yeah. God. The status that we have with God as, as favored children of God, as, as God's children. So it's the status that we have as God's children. And so when we have peace with God and we're standing in right relationship with him, we have a favored status. God's children equals a favored status. We are his children. So kind of maybe like an evaluation would be is do I see God this way would be how do you feel when you go to God? How do you feel when you go to God? Do you feel like he disapproves of you? Like you need to negotiate with him? And oftentimes, I, I mean, I've been there in my life where I've gone to God in prayer, right? And I'm praying about something and I'm saying, I'm like haggling with God, right? Like, <laughs> if you do this, then I'll do this. And like, if you do this, then I'll do this. And I'm like some sort of, nego- like, I'm, like I'm trying to get the price lower on a car or something. <laughs> like I'm trying to talk God in to like rewarding me in some way because I felt like he disapproves of me. Or, or maybe you feel like that he's not really listening or he's not concerned with what's going on. Or do you come to him with an awareness that you are his child, that he's a father that couldn't love you any more than what he does right now. He's a father who wants what's best for you. I am his favorite child. I'm sorry to you guys, but I am God's no, favorite no, child. No, 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 no. I am clearly his favorite child. We are all God's favorite children. And for those of you who are here this morning, you know, and you, you, might, say, you might say that, like, I, I don't understand this. Like, my dad was never like this. My dad never, was never really a loving father. And so it's hard for me to see God that way. And I understand that, but I also would challenge a reality that what if you evaluated your earthly father through the lens of your heavenly one, not your heavenly one through the lens of your earthly father? God is the father for whom you were created to have. He's the father for whom you were created to be in relationship with. And we all desire to have a father like him. Yeah, you know, when we understand that our position as children of God, it affects our entire view of our Christianity. The way we worship, the way we pray, it literally affects the entire outlook life. Yeah, and, and Paul goes on to say that in, in this verse, he says that we boast or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And, and that is what changes the entire outlook yeah. of our lives. Like the hope is kind of is what Pastor Matt was talking about last week, that our hope is in the assurance that God will keep all of his promises to us, his children, that he's going to keep all of his promises to us our children, as his children. Our ultimate hope is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection shows me that God is going to restore all that is broken here on earth. And, and at the end of the day, you know, if nothing else works out in my life, you know, because there's a lot of things that we know, like they just doesn't always work out, right? But if nothing else works out in my life, I have the insurance of eternal life. You know, when my broken life, my broken situation, my broken feelings, our broken world on that day at the resurrection, we are going to, it's all going to be restored. Yeah. And there was this quote by D.A. Carson that says, I'm not suffering from anything a good resurrection can't fix. That's good. 
right? Like, that's a good quote. <laughs> like, the good news is, is that we are dis- we're going to be disappointed in life, right? And what we walk through on this earth, we're not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. That everything is going to be restored. The reality is our bodies are getting older, guys. Like, everybody who's in this room, like, our bodies are getting older. I mean, I was hanging these lights up here. There's like 60-some sets of lights or something like that. I don't know. And, and I'm on a ladder up and down, up and down, four hours, eight hours, ten hours. My body began to scream at me and tell me, hey, you're not as young as you once were, right? Like, how, how many of you guys can identify with that, right? If you're, you know, you're here this morning, you know, like, we can identify with that. We're all getting older, Sad reality. We're all dying. We're all going to die. We are all dying. Everything in life will eventually fade. But ultimately, as a believer, we have the hope of the resurrection. And let's be serious for a moment. Sometimes God doesn't always take our suffering, pain, situation, affliction away. Sometimes the cancer doesn't get taken away. Personally, for me, you know, for years, we prayed that for complete healing in my father in the, in the last stages of his life. But the cancer didn't go away. Sometimes he doesn't stop the effects of aging, right? Like our bodies hurt. Like he doesn't stop the effects of aging. Sometimes the marriage isn't reconciled. Sometimes the one who sins against you isn't brought to justice. But that doesn't mean that we don't have hope. That doesn't mean that we don't have hope. Because you're not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. And I love that quote. And Paul goes on to say in verse 2 that we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And this word boast here is we rejoice. Yeah, but, you know, rejoicing is different than happiness. Even though many of us kind of get those two confused sometimes or we try to swap them. You know, happiness is contingent on what you want to happen actually happening. Yeah, and many of us experience that. Like, I experience that all the time. Yep, and the difference between happiness and joy or rejoicing, it has nothing to do with what you want to actually happen. Many Christians think that the Christian life is supposed to be this hunky-dory, happy-go-lucky. Happy, happy, happy. (laughs) Happy, happy, happy. Always smiling all the time, always in a good mood. And if you're not that way, then, you know, definitely something is wrong, right? Or Or we're doing something wrong. Just think about the book of Job. If you know anything about Job, I don't think Job went through life all happy all the time. Think about Jesus. He didn't bounce through life like Tigger with a happy-go-lucky attitude, right? No, the scripture says he was a man familiar with sorrow and acquainted with grief. But Jesus was still someone who had joy. We see this in John chapter 15 when he says, my joy will remain in you. This is a joy that comes from knowing that what you have with God is far better than anything that you're missing in this life. And what he promised you in his word is far more secure than anything that you could possibly make happen on your own. And Paul goes on to say in verse 3 that not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And this word glory here translates, in some translations, it, it means to rejoice, to, re, to rejoice in our sufferings, or to, to, like you just talked about, to rejoice in our sufferings. Yeah. And so what does that mean, to rejoice in our sufferings, or to glory in our sufferings? Um, it's rejoicing in afflictions. It's rejoicing in trials. It's rejoicing in difficulty, because you know that the suffering, the trial, the affliction, 
the difficulty, no matter how great, is producing something in us greater than a pain-free life. Suffering produces something of greater value than a pain-free life. And Christy referenced Job. And think about Job, who after he lost everything, he lost his health, his family, his livelihood, he, he, he ripped his clothes off, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and screamed at God. And the scriptures say, yet he did not sin. And many of us, me included in this room, if we were to sit down and we were to watch Job do this, right? Rip his clothes off, shave his head, scream at God. You know, we might sit here and say, Job needs to have more faith, right? As Christians, we might say that. We might say that Job needs to pray more. Or maybe that Job loved the world too much. He needed to, he needed to lose some of that stuff anyhow. But the scriptures say that Job sinned not. Christianity pushes us into the world to experience it, to love it, and to feel its pain more deeply. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to feel anger and rage, even at God sometimes. But trust God, because you know that God is up to something ultimately good, and he's doing that in you, in each one of us, in me. It's through suffering that perseverance is produced, Paul says. And and perseverance is the ability to keep going, even when things are not working out, even whenever you're, you're not experiencing any earthly benefit from what you're walking through. Maybe it feels like you're losing, losing things as you're walking through um, whatever the situation is. To keep going even when the situation isn't changing, even when you still feel the pain, even when the prognosis is still not positive, perseverance is a test. Will you keep going when nothing is working out? Is God enough? Yeah, you know, this is something that's far too familiar to Rob and I. We'll see. I'm going to do it. Okay. Right. <laughs> but Rob mentioned this morning. Well, I don't know if you mentioned, but if you didn't mention. I didn't mention. You didn't mention. Oh, I'm sorry. We just celebrated 10 years of marriage. Yeah. 10 years. I'm going to give you a hand clap because you put up with me for 10 <laughs> years. Well, I mean, somebody has to do it. So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, love you too. So, <laughs> oh, I love you. But we just celebrated 10 years of marriage. And, you know, can I just tell you, though, that the past 10 years, it hasn't been easy. Not because of him. I just want you to know. <laughs> my, my fault. <laughs> but just for example, uh, just in the first year of our marriage alone, or rather just the first six months of our marriage, Rob lost both of his parents. You know, the level of loss and grief that we experienced, it overwhelmed us. We were newly married. We were trying to get our feet wet, trying to do life with each other, and then this huge trial hit us. What were we supposed to do now? That's whenever we held on to God. We pressed in, and we persevered. Then in our second year of marriage, we found out we were pregnant. Yay! We were so excited. But then we found out that the doctor's prognosis wasn't good. We found out that I had a lot of physical issues that was going to make carrying a pregnancy really difficult. You know, the physical and emotional pain was devastating. Ten and a half weeks in, I had my first miscarriage. <laughs> After that experience, we had, we had some hope because uh, we were working with some awesome doctors that said that if we have some of these surgeries, it might give us a chance to start our family. You know, we have a desire to have kids start a family one day. 
So I underwent a lot of surgeries, had a lot of different nips and tucks and all of that <laughs> in hopes that our dreams would come true. And uh, without getting into great detail, after these surgeries, little did we know that the next eight years of our life was going to be an emotional roller coaster, to say the least. So we, try, we tried to have a family, but it, it wasn't working out. And the most frustrating part was that the doctors were saying that there's no reason why. Like, everything's good to go. Like, we don't understand why this isn't happening. And, and for three years, we saw no success. And you kept hearing the doctors say, well, I don't know what the problem is. And it's no like, idea. we're paying you to figure out what the problem is. Like, <laughs> right? this is your job. Like, you're supposed to specialize in this. You're supposed to be telling us why it's not, why it's not happening. <laughs> Seriously. But for three years, we saw no success, and we moved up here in 2015, and we moved, after we moved up here in 2015, we, we did end up uh, finding some new doctors, a new fertility clinic, and um, after different treatments, did end up getting pregnant again, and we were so excited, so excited again, and we ended up having another miscarriage. And fast forward four years, multiple fertility treatments, multiple doc- doctors, and we had four more miscarriages on top of that. So the emotional roller coaster was up and down, up and down, and still no answers. That was the most frustrating part. God, why aren't you allowing this to happen? Doctors, why can't you tell us, like, why it's not happening? And we were devastated. We were ready to give up, and um, we even started to pursue other options to, to have a family. Yeah. You know, our heart's desire, at least mine was, it was crushed. We couldn't understand why God wasn't answering our prayers. And at times we felt angry with God. We were upset. We were frustrated. We were emotionally broken. I just about gave up emotionally, physically, spiritually. And then it reminded me of something that Corey Ten Boom said, and I love this quote. It says, I never really knew that God was all I needed until he was literally all I had. And it's when we're brought to our lowest point through trials and sufferings and we've lost all our earthly hope, it is then and only then that God can do something inside of us that he can only do when, he, when we're able to take ourselves out of the equation, when we're able to take all of the earthly possibilities out of the equation. It's, it's in those moments that our faith in God was strengthened. Um, my hope had to transition from being in the doctors and in myself and in my possessions to having hope in him alone. Because he was all that we had. My mindset had to switch that God was good whether we had a baby or not. That God was good despite what we may be walking through. God was good whether I lost my parents or whether they were here with me. That God was still good even when I was frustrated and angry. Suffering trials, afflictions, they all produce things in you that you can learn no other way. And the reformer Martin Luther said that three things were necessary for understanding Scripture. Prayer, meditation, and suffering. And I think oftentimes in our lives, like this is so counterproductive what we hear in mainstream Christianity. We, you know, that once you give your life to Christ, like everything's supposed to be hunky-dory and it's supposed to be happy, happy, happy. And, you know, everything's supposed to work out. But a lot of Christians walk through things like we've walked through and, you know, walking through suffering. Yeah, you know, suffering in a believer's life, it's a trigger that causes something else to happen in our lives. Yeah. So it's getting colder out, right? Well, today's actually kind of nice. Maybe yeah. it's pretty. Bad but, illustration for a day like today. I know. Well, just imagine. Next week, it'll be fine. 
<laughs> you've probably fired up the heater in your house. Or if you haven't, husbands, you should. I turned it on a couple of nights. Okay, we'll turn it up. <laughs> but suffering is, it's the cold that triggers the heater to come on. When the temperature in your house drops, your heater comes on and you begin to feel warmth, right? Or at least you should. The cold temperature isn't what made you warm. Your heater did that. But the cold temperature causes the heater to kick in. And that's exactly how faith works. Suffering makes your faith kick on. It's, it causes new experiences of trust and confidence and even joy in God in the midst of the cold of suffering. And, you know, and, and it kind of works like this. The colder the temperature gets, the hotter the furnace gets. Mm-hmm. Paul goes on to say that perseverance produces character and character hope. Paul says that this type of perseverance through suffering produces character, and that character produces hope. The character that Paul is talking about here is a character that has walked through suffering. It's a character that has walked through affliction, and the heat has refined who we are. God has given us in the American culture so much, right? Like for me, I have a great marriage. I have a great job. I have food on my table. I have good family and friends. But how much of my joy and satisfaction is dependent on those things. And all of those things are good things, right? Like, they're all good things. But it's through affliction that we are refined. It's through affliction, through suffering, through trials, through difficult times, that we are taught that nothing else matters in life other than my relationship with God and His faithfulness. It's through affliction that we are refined, that we learn, that we grow, Maybe it's freeing us from dependence on even good things. Sometimes he'll strip out the good things to show us that he is sufficient. For me, Christy mentioned that my parents had passed away um, in our first six months of marriage. For me, having parents are good, right? Like my parents were some of the best thing in my, the best thing in my life. But when, whenever they were stripped out of my life, it was then that I learned that my faith in God was my faith in God. It wasn't their faith in God. It wasn't somebody else's faith in God. It was me and God, and it was my relationship with him, and it wasn't dependent upon them. So oftentimes in my life, I depended on my parents for, to speak faith into my life, if you were to think about it that way. They were the ones who, like, you have a problem, you're walking through a difficult season, that you're picking up the phone and calling them, and they were, they were the ones. But I believe that sometimes those good things are pulled away from us to show us that he is sufficient, that he is all that we need, that my faith in God is him. It may be simply allowing you to experience, maybe it's simply just to allow us to experience how sufficient he truly is, that he is all that we need. And it's through affliction and suffering that God infuses his presence into our broken lives. Yeah, this is the process that produces hope. You know, verse uh, 15, verse 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame. Some other versions kind of say that this is a hope that does not disappoint. This, is a, uh, this hope is the confidence that we talked about earlier, that God will keep his promises and that he is working all things together for good and that one day he will restore all things through his resurrection. But in the meantime, he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. No matter what you're walking through, he is with you. Every other type of hope will disappoint. 
See, it's not the same type of, Paul's not talking about the same type of hope that we have here on earth. Like, I hope that I get whatever Christmas present, right? Like, you guys have a gift in your mind that you, like, are thinking about. Like, I hope that I get that whatever. I hope that I get that pay raise. Or I hope whatever. You know, it's not a hope that is, I hope that this pregnancy will come full term. As a, it's, it's not a hope that, you know, a doctor will give a good report. It's not that type of hope. That's earthly hope. And that will disappoint us. But the hope that Paul is talking about here is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to say, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this hope that we have, that everything will be, will be restored, this hope is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he's put the Holy Spirit in our hearts to walk with us every day. That he's walking with us, pointing us back to the only thing that matters, and that is Jesus Christ and the cross. And verse 6 says, and 7 says that you see at just the right time when we were still powerless. Can I tell you that through my life there were a lot of points that I felt very powerless. That just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly die. You know, Paul's logic here is that sometimes, though rare, but sometimes a heroic person sacrifices himself for someone they love. Like, for instance, a soldier um, taking a bullet for his brother or a mother giving her life for her child. We see this all the time time in movies, movies. all the time. But the reality is that that rarely happens. And Paul continues to point us to the cross in verse 8. It says, But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while, I, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled? Shall we be saved through his life? And I love that it says saved through his life. Because if his blood secured my forgiveness, then his life guarantees that what he started, he will complete. His life proves to me that I have someone by my side, that he's never going to let me go. His life proves that by using his sovereign power, he will make all things work together for my good, even if it hurts. His life proves that one day we will re- he will resurrect me like he, has been re- like he has been resurrected and wipe every tear from our eyes and restore everything back to the way that he has meant it to be and heal us completely. The cross of Jesus proves his love for me, that he's not going to leave me no matter what I walk through, no matter what we walk through. And his resurrection proves his power, that he is going to finish the job. It means that honestly, like, I don't know what God is doing in suffering. People ask that all the time. You know, I hear that. What is God doing? I'm walking through this situation. I'm walking through this difficult trial. And my answer is, I don't know what God is doing. I can't know what God is doing. But I do know what it can't mean. I do know what it can't mean. It cannot mean that God has forgotten you. The cross shows you that he has not forgotten you. It can't mean that God is no longer involved. The resurrection shows us that God will complete what he started. You won't always know what God is doing in your suffering. We don't know, oftentimes, we don't know what God is doing through our suffering. But the cross and the resurrection assures us that he is doing something. And that means that the mark of those who, who believe this and, and persevere in this is joy. You know, someone once said that 
Your belief in the gospel is measured by your ability to have joy in suffering. Worship team, if you guys want to go ahead and come up and get started. Let me tell you, though, this joy is not something that comes naturally. You have to choose to rejoice along the way. In verse 3, Paul says, We rejoice because we know. We know that we have learned something. Rejoicing comes from reminding ourselves of something. And as Christy and I were talking about this topic and sharing it with you all today, uh, we talked about what were the things as we walked through suffering that kept our heads above water. What was, it that, what was it that we kept coming back to that whenever sorrow filled our hearts or um, we were completely, felt like we were drowning in, in life and, yeah. let's say, crap. And <laughs> what was it that spurred joy inside of us? How do we persevere through suffering? And there were two things specifically um, that we, we talked about. The number one is the constant reminder that God is faithful. Like we've talked about this morning, our hope is not an earthly hope, but it's a hope that is founded in the promises of who God is, that he is faithful, and that he is working things out for our good, even whenever it does, may not seem like it. Even whenever we don't feel like it, that he's working something for us. He's teaching us something, and we may not realize it till years down the road. It took years before I realized, like, why when I walked through losing my parents, what, what was going on? It's still, we're still processing, like, walking through the things that we walked through in our marriage. Why is that those things happening? But his word says, his word reminds us that he is a faithful father and that he loves his children. Even through difficulties, even when difficulties come, and it doesn't feel like we have a God who loves us, he does. So those constant reminders of God's faithfulness is the first thing. And then the second thing is choosing to rejoice through worship specifically. You know, in scripture, we're commanded to worship, not just if we feel it. Let's be honest, there's more, more times than not that I just don't feel like right. worshiping. But at least 40 times in the Psalms, we're commanded to raise our hands in worship. We're commanded to do these things whether we feel it or not. Worship is a choice to rejoice by faith in a reality that God declares to be true, regardless of how we feel. Oftentimes we, we come to church and we sit and think about how we feel. I do that. You know, Sundays are, sometimes Sunday mornings are the roughest mornings, right? <laughs> and we walk in and we ask ourselves, do I feel like worshiping today? Worshiping is not a reflection of how you feel. It's a reflection of what you know to be true. It's a declaration of what God is worthy of. You know, many people feel like they shouldn't worship unless they feel it, right? Unless you f- we feel it. So we come to church and we look at our heart and we look at ourselves and we ask, do I feel it? And if I feel okay, then I worship. Worship doesn't begin by looking at your heart at how you feel but looking up to what God has promised and who God is. Worship is not a reflection of how you feel. It's a declaration of how worthy God is. And can I be honest this morning? I don't care how you feel. 
It's my personality. <laughs> but I care about what God is worthy of. Yeah. And he is worthy of praise, whether I feel like it or not. My personality is I walk in on Sunday mornings and I don't want to worship. Let's just be real. But it's not about how I feel. It's about who God is. Worship is a declaration of faith, not a reflection of your feelings. I am not how I feel. My life is not what my circumstances may look like. When you're walking through a deep season of suffering, it's very easy to allow that suffering to define you and to even become your identity. Yeah, I've lost my parents, therefore I'm an orphan and can become our identity. I have cancer, therefore I'm terminally ill. I'm a divorcee, I'm a victim. We're never gonna have kids. Those become our identities. And in those moments, worship is a declaration that while suffering may be part of your story, it's not your whole story. And it's not the end of your story. Worship focuses our identity on who we are in Christ and declares the victory that we have in Him. And so this morning, we're going to end this service in worship. So would you stand with us this morning and let's worship and let's rejoice as a declaration of what we know to be true in defiance of how you may feel this morning. Let's not declare what we feel, but let's declare what we believe God is worthy of. Maybe this morning you're here and you're walking through, you're walking through some suffering or a trial or affliction. Can I tell you that the trials in my life, the trials that Christy and I have walked through, I've learned so much about who I am and I've learned so much about who God is and my identity in Him. And we've learned that He is a faithful God no matter what we walk through. But it's only when I take my eyes off of my earthly hope and put my eyes on the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. And then my view, it is only then that my view is transformed. He is ultimately working everything for our good. And I have good news this morning. After eight years of us walking through suffering and trials and situations, Chrissy is 21 weeks pregnant this morning. tell you that my earthly hope is that this pregnancy continues and that we have a healthy baby at the end of April. But my hope in Jesus is this, is that God is still good no matter what the outcome is. That he is still good and he is still worthy of our praise regardless of what the situation may be that's in front of us. So this morning, I'm going to close in prayer. And if you would like to stay and pray, the worship team is going to continue. If you want to continue in worship, you can stay here for a little bit. If you need to leave, please leave quietly and and take your conversations outside for those who do wish to stay and to create a free, free flow of traffic through our lobby. So let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for how good you are. 
God, I thank you for the peace that I can feel because I have peace with you. God, that I'm in right relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray this morning, if there's anyone here who may not know you, Lord, God, that they would put their, their faith in you. God, that they would call on you today. God, and invite you to be part of their lives, Lord. God, so that they can have peace in their, with their creator. God, I thank you that because of my standing with you and our standing with you, that, that we are your favorite children. God, that every one of us are your favorite children. And God, that you care for us and you love us. And even when we're walking through difficult times, even when we're walking through trials, even when we're walking through suffering, God, that you are working something of greater value in us than could ever be produced by walking any other way. God, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for your blood that has forgiven us. God, your blood that was shed to provide a forgiveness for our sins. God, but I also thank you for your life that guarantees, the resurrection that guarantees that what you have started, you will complete. And Father, we worship you. Regardless of how we feel this morning, regardless of how we feel Monday morning, regardless of how we feel Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Lord God, we worship you throughout the week, regardless of how we feel, because you are worthy of it. It's not, it's not about how we feel, God, but it's about who you are and who you've created us to be. And Father, I just pray for our congregation this morning. I pray, God, as they, as they leave and they go about their week, God, that no matter what they're walking through this morning, God, through, through the Christmas season, walking through difficult times can be extremely, extremely hard, God, that they will know that you are faithful. God, and what you are doing is far better, what you're doing in us is far better than anything else in this world. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. And we rejoice this morning, and it's in your name I pray. Amen.